Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Kerr, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Kerr. Right, our top story tonight then. Uh, you guessed it, another day. And what did I say? I think it was about two days ago. I was saying exactly the same thing, another day and another report Uh, These investigations into child sex uh, abuse in Rotherham this time has found serious failures by South Yorkshire Police. You know, we go around in circles, don't we, on this uh, topic. It seems like it does now. It feels like every other week there's one of these reports or one of these issues. And the problem with it all for me is the lack of accountability. We always learn lessons, don't we? We have these feelings and around and around we go. This one... This report, it took years, I think it was about eight years, cost about £6 million, uh, and it follows the J report, which in 2014 said, get this, at least 1,400 children were raped and trafficked and abused in Rotherham between 1997 and 2013. Joining me now to discuss this is Maggie Oliver. She's a former detective constable who resigned from the police uh, in protest at how some of these kind of han- issues were being handled. Maggie, good evening to you. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. What's your reaction to this latest report today? Hi, Michelle. Um, I agree with every word you said. Um, I could literally cut and paste this report and put either Rochdale or Rotherham or Oldham or Oxford. You know, every single one talks about the same failures, about children being failed, about the the police failing in their duty. And in every single one, uh, chief constables are wheeled out time and time again to say that things have changed, everything's better now. But I will tell you and your listeners, Michelle, that from my work in the Maggie Oliver Foundation, I know that is not the case. You know, we have two very distinct sides to the foundation. We have um, uh, an emotional support service supporting victims who may have been let down in the past, but we also have a legal advocacy service which supports survivors but victims who are going to the police today wanting action taken about their abuse today. And the cases that we are dealing with now are overwhelming to the extent that my team is inundated every day with desperate people who are having the door slammed in their faces today. And yet we know that time and time again, nobody is held to account. I see this as gross misconduct, as uh, misconduct in a public office, gross criminal neglect. I want to see chief constables held to account, not just detectives on the ground or uniformed officers. For me, the book stops at the top. And, you know, um, chief constables know what is going on, and yet they appear to me to be political pawns who are there to protect the organisations in the same way that professional standards are, in the same way that normally the IOPC are. In this case, the IOPC have come out and said that there are gross failures. But I would suggest that's because with Rotherham, everybody knows that is the truth. But I would say that throughout the country, things are no different. We might be moving slowly in the right direction in that the public now know, Michelle, what is actually happening. But you go and speak to any victims today and they will tell you that the service they are getting from the police, 
from the criminal system, the criminal justice system, is still not up, not fit for purpose. And the abusers are getting away. Victims are still being treated with contempt. There is a lack of understanding of what this abuse does. And victims are still being blamed for their own abuse. The system is broken. We need a radical overhaul of the whole system, from the police to the CPS to the courts to the whole shebang. Um, and, you know, I, I don't mince my words. I'm not here to make friends, Michelle. I am here to give the voice of victims uh, credence because we are listening to those victims in the foundation every single day. And I would say to any victim listening to this now, if you are having the door slammed in your face, come to the foundation and we will do our best to advocate for you. Um, so that's where I come from on this, you know, um, another day, another report, millions of pounds wasted when that money could have been put into, you know, um, improving policing, improving training, increasing the numbers. And chief constables, for me, should be shouting from the rooftops that that is what is needed, not pretending that these are problems of the past. They are very much problems of today, of the present. And we need those in, in positions of influence to shout that from the rooftops and also to be held to account criminally, in my uh, opinion, not allowed to slide out the door and retire when they know that the writing's on the wall, because all too often, that is exactly what happens. It does, you're right. I've actually got uh, this report in front of me now, and when I'm looking at the outcomes of this, Maggie, and you'll be familiar with this already, hence your comment, I'm sure, uh, you know, cases to answer where there's been an outcome where absolutely it was found that there was gross misconduct um, occurred on three separate occasions, there was no further action taken, despite there being uh, findings of gross misconduct. Why? Because, as you've just said, individuals have retired. Uh, another four cases uh, to answer of misconduct. Again, no further action. Why? Because the individual retired. Maggie, it must be the ultimate smack in the face to a victim when it's been proven that somebody's done something wrong, gross misconduct in the case I've just mentioned there, or misconduct, and you're just allowed to go off and get your, your retirement. A nice, decent... At lump sum, a, a nice monthly ongoing fee with no consequence. Yeah, M Michelle, it makes my blood boil because, you know, I was saying this in 2012 when I resigned. You know, I, I feel like a broken record. Your, your, your viewers must be sick of the sight of me saying the same thing every time. But it's 10 years I've been saying this. And yet, on, on Operation Span, you know, we had the Chief Constable in Greater Manchester then um, dismissing me as a woman who had become too emotionally involved. I'd lost the plot. I'd been bereaved. You know, misogynistic um, words directed at me as a whistleblower and not addressing the issues that he knew were present then. Uh, we have GMP in special measures because they failed to record at least 80,000 crimes from um, including victims of serious sexual abuse in one year alone. This is not a new problem. It is still ongoing. GMP are still in special measures. We are dealing with multiple cases from uh, South Yorkshire Police today, many of which the victims are being failed in exactly the same way. Since January alone, we have referred 33 extremely serious cases to senior officers in GMP, and only one of those um, is being dealt with. This is a, um, a national scandal. It is still endemic, and victims are the losers. And if we don't get a grip of it, in 10 years' time, I'm still going to be saying the same things. Victims are still going to be being failed. 
We need leadership. We need accountability. We need senior officers standing in a court of law and being prosecuted for misconduct in a public office. Because if I was guilty of these failures, I would be standing there. They are misleading the public. They are covering up a failing system. And another report is saying the same thing. We need an independent body that um, investigates complaints, not professional standards who time and time again protect the organisation because that is what they are paid to do. And normally that is what the IOPC do. And I'm sad to say that from my dealings with Op Hydrant, um, they are in that same category. Um, we are trying at the foundation to open up dialogue with police forces. The dialogue is actually beginning, but what we are not seeing is the dialogue and the promises converting into action and change. Indeed. And, you know, I'm not going away until that happens. Well, Maggie, unfortunately, but fortunately, if you know what I mean, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon because this doesn't seem like it's going to be getting resolved anytime soon. As always, thank you for all the work that you do. Uh, and we both share the same feelings. All of this is an absolute disgrace. Maggie Oliver, thank you for your time. Kelvin, uh, your thoughts? Well, two, uh, two significant thoughts. One is, obviously, the police is an absolute disgrace. I mean, this is 16 years of not doing anything. My other issue is this. What there is clearly, in one of those examples that you could have read out there, um, one father was denied... Um, the uh, the attacker being arrested by the police because the police turned around to him and said that there would be racial tensions mm. in the event uh, that uh, the arrest took place. Mm. Well, when you look at this, there were 1,400 uh, young white girls attacked, groomed or trafficked by a collection of Pakistani men mainly kind of driven by paedophilia in some way. What, why is it that the police feel that they can't arrest these people? What is it that's stopping them? Because were it an ordinary, I, I don't know, supposing this happened in Kingston or Weybridge or Brighton, they wouldn't think twice about doing it. So what is it, what is it about the colour of your skin in some of these towns in the north which seems to stop the police... Doing but do you still think we're deeds. in that zone, though, Kelvin? Because some of these people have been arrested, haven't they? Some of these well, people I, have I, been I, locked up. There's well, been about 12. There's been 1,400 attacks, according to the, the reports, right? And, and about 12 people are currently in jail. Yes, so they've got 22 years. Some, one got 35 years. Some of them scarpered back to Pakistan, right? Is, is, that, is that an appropriate uh, arrest relationship? I don't think it is. What is it? that does the colour of an attacker's skin in these towns, Rotherham, Oldham, Rochdale, does that mean that they can get away with things that people of another colour skin can't do? The other thing is it's still going on. I mean, that's, that's what's appalling. I mean, just a few months ago, some Conservative councillors in Rotherham have uh, brought forth this report saying that these young girls are being given phones, taken off late at night by older Asian men, taken to, they name, a sex shop and a petrol station, um, uh, forced to have sex, and then trafficked all over the north of England. So this is still happening. And the other thing that I find seriously concerning is that you have, um, I think it was in 2015, you had a case 
where you had two, uh, two councillors and a police, a constable, all had up because they were actually working together with the grooming gangs mm-hmm. and were ha- having sex with the girls. And the constable was actually even giving information to the grooming gangs. Now, that's just, I feel, the tip of the iceberg. They had clearly, because of all this cover-up, all that has happened, that the collusion must have been much deeper than that just one case. Joe? Well, I think it's... I mean, Maggie Oliver deserves more applaudits and medals than she's already had for being so brave to call it out in the first place. It's shocking that she says it's still going on, as Harriet's just said, um, and it's an absolute, utter disgrace. And where are the police ever held accountable for anything? I mean, we saw the report, the Jay report... Um, that talked about the failings within um, the council social services. Uh, And we learned earlier this week that one of the um, groomers, one of the perpetrators, was actually a welfare officer within the council. Mm. And we also know from that report, exactly as Kelvin's just said, that there was this fear of being called out for being racist without actually dealing with a real problem. But the real problem, right at the bottom of this, is not believing the victims because they were young, they were vulnerable, they were girls, they were children. If anybody could say to a child, you consented to this, then you are condoning rape. Yeah, it's, I think... But, and I think, you know, we saw it with Hillsborough, we've seen it with various incidents in the Met. If the police are going to continue to police this country by consent, they really do need to get their act together. Yeah, and I think there's a, um, a class element to this as well because a lot of these girls were in children's homes, for example. Yeah. Mm. Um, and by the way, just for the record, we're talking about kids as, as young as 11, 12 mm. here. Yeah. Well, um, under the age of consent. Yeah, like, it was illegal quite significantly. Was yeah. yeah, quite significantly. Uh, Stervewood, by the way, Operation Stervewood, apparently this is the single largest law enforcement investigation into this kind of uh, exploitation and abuse so far. Uh, it's seen 20 sex offenders convicted and jailed for a total of 256 years. Uh, more than 200 people have been arrested or attended a police station voluntarily. That's the stats from that particular operation. Um, where do you stand on this? I do find it quite peculiar. I mean, we had, if you're a regular viewer to this uh, show, you will re- recall Monday, I think it was, literally a couple of days ago, we had an independent uh, expert on in this field, and he started off by saying, uh, if you recall that interview, you know, Michelle, I want to reassure you and your viewers that this is not kind of a serious concern anymore. It's more of a historical it thing. But, it, I mean, that's absolutely uh, rubbish. And, we, and we know that. And, and unless people are actually taken to court and are made to pay, whether that's by, you know, the, the trashing of their reputation or going to prison or whatever it is, they will just walk away. And as, as you said, and as Maggie said, they walk away into Why retirement. Why retirement be a get-out-of-go-card? Well, exactly. I yeah. mean, just because you're retired doesn't make you suddenly immune. You're allowed to do every kind oh. of illegal act. Why should that be? Why should they not be because prosecuted I bet you that, even when they're retired? But I expect the records are missing. But, I mean, we've, we've seen it, we've heard it over and over mm. again. We've heard it with Stephen Lawrence. We've heard it with um, Hillsborough. We've heard it with this. We hear it and we will carry on hearing it because nobody is taking any action. And what, what has the Home Secretary got to say about but that, I, I, by I, the way? I, let me just say, I, I am not at all in any way, shape or form hostile to the police. I think they have a bloody awful job, which they do by and large to the best of their ability. But I just wonder whether when they get caught up in these kind of, kind of racial areas, whether actually 
the liberal aspect of policing dominates the correct thing to be done. Because there has to be an explanation, which it wouldn't happen, as I say, it wouldn't happen in Cornwall, it wouldn't happen in Brighton, but it seems to happen in northern towns where there are a lot of Asian men. Yeah, indeed. Uh, a point that's coming through thick and fast on the email, by the way, Martin, uh, Pam, you just messaged literally just a second saying the same thing as well, is, you know, you're all talking about the authorities, Michelle, you're saying, but what about the parents in all of this? Why isn't anyone uh, referencing them? I suspect the thing here is a lot of these children were in children's homes. Uh, so make of that what you will. I would say that those parents, for whatever reason, have obviously failed those children uh, and if that's been the case, we can all sit and look at them. But the, you know, the nuts and bolts of it is, once that's happened, then it is actually the jobs of the authorities to protect those children. Uh, that is their safety net. The police, the social workers, all the rest of it. If, if your parents are wrong uns, they've failed you, you know, that's almost gone in a way. And now it is, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever way you look at it, it's the job of the authorities to pick up those kids uh, and care for them. And they have very sadly let them down. Uh, now, I'm going to move on. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about politics. Uh, whatever side of the fence you sit on, we should all agree that an effective opposi opposition is an absolute essential must. Do we have that when it comes to the Labour Party? I'll have that and your responses to the first topic in just a couple of minutes. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Co with me, Michelle Jubry. A quick reminder as to who is keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. We've got the former editor of The Sun, Kelvin McKenzie, political commentator Joe Phillips, and journalist and author Harriet Sargent. You guys have been in touch, lots of you, about that last topic about the grooming gangs, the historical child sexual exploitation. Bill says, Michelle, I'm absolutely sick of hearing this same old sentence that we're going to learn lessons. He says, it's time top officials are dismissed without their pensions, etc., for not doing their jobs properly. Got to say, Bill, I don't think you'll find much kind of opposition to that viewpoint here, uh, which leads me nicely onto opposition generally. Do you see what I did there? Every single... Thank you, Kelvin. You're appreciating it. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, Good a great skill. line. Great yeah, segue. Great, yeah, segue of the segue. year. Thank you. Yeah, I might get a BAFTA off the back of that one. Uh, right, my point is, every single government needs a good, strong, decent opposition. Uh, but Sakia Starmer's reaction this week uh, to the rail strikes is just the latest example of him sitting on the fence. Some people call Keir Starmer the leader of no opposition, which at first, I've got to say, I thought was a bit harsh. But now I'm not so sure. It's all got me thinking, and I'm asking you tonight, what is the point now of the Labour Party? Are they an effective opposition? Are they doing the job that they're supposed to be doing? To discuss this, I'm joined by the Labour MP and Shadow Minister for Immigration, Stephen Kinnock. Good evening to you. I'll put that question straight to you. Are the Labour Party an effective opposition? Absolutely. We are holding the government to account, pointing out their failures across the board and also coming forward with clear, compelling policies such as the windfall tax on oil and gas companies to pay for reduced energy bills, such as the reduction, uh, the re removal of VAT from energy bills, such as a proper industrial policy to get our economy firing on all cylinders, rebo rebooting our manufacturing sector in particular. And 
the, go the government's not really coming forward with anything apart from lots of divisive issues, whether it's their view, position on the rail strikes completely failing to get the talks moving, position on the Northern Ireland Protocol, the Rwanda deportations. They're just looking for opportunities to divide the country rather than pulling us all together, getting us actually working again after the pandemic and also dealing with our international partners in a more constructive way. So uh, we need an opposition that is strong and united. That's what we are on the Labour benches and we're ready for the general election and we're ready to form that next Labour government. So Stephen, I've got to be honest, you say that the Tories are trying to divide the country and that Labour, you're a very strong united party. To me, I don't think you seem united at all. In fact, I would question whether or not you think people really truly know what the Labour Party even stands for anymore. I'll pick the most recent example of these strikes. You're supposed to be uh, the party of the workers. The workers are now on picket liners and Labour Party, to me, don't seem to know if you're coming or going. Your leader's saying to you, don't get on those picket lines. 20-odd of you are saying, no thanks, and you're getting on the picket lines anyway. Who are you as a party? Well, the job of the parliamentary Labour Party is to focus on the government and make it absolutely clear that the reason these strikes are happening is because the government wants them to happen. Totally failing to sit down uh, and get the train operators and the trade unions talking. And, and without the government there, those, those talks are not going to succeed. Grant Shapps knows that. Boris Johnson knows that. And in terms of uh, where we stand as a party on this, it's absolutely clear that we support the right to strike. Workers have got to stand up for their rights and they, sometimes that means as a last resort going on strike. But our job in Parliament is to keep the focus on the government and that is what we're doing. And I think that is really cutting through very clearly. If you see the fact that the, the recent opinion polls, I think, showing that uh, the, the, the government isn't getting this right. And what is Extra, absolutely extraordinary is today it's emerged that the government wants to lift the uh, cap on bankers' bonuses. So whilst they're preaching to those hard-working people who got our country through the pandemic that they have to exercise pay restraint, they're saying to the bankers, noses in the trough, lads, uh, you know, keep going, keep raking it in, uh, you'll be fine as long as you, by the way, keep donating to the Conservative Party. That It's rank hypocrisy and Boris Johnson had no answer to that at Prime Minister's questions today. Stephen, I think we'll agree to disagree. I mean, you think it's clear what the Labour Party uh, stand for. I'm someone that was born and bred uh, Labour and to me it's absolutely not clear, but we'll park that, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Uh, you know, Shadow Immigration Minister, it would be remiss of me not to ask you about what's going on in the Channel. Uh, do you think we've got an emergency situation right now when it comes to these Channel crossings? Yes, it's uh, absolutely awful that people are making these very dangerous journeys and risking their lives. But the government's Rwanda deportation plan is not going to deter them. Uh, it, there isn't the capacity in Rwanda to take anything like the numbers that might actually act as a deterrent. What we need to do is actually sit down with our European, uh, the European governments and the EU and get a proper returns agreement in place and then actually start processing uh, the asylum applications that are here. We've got 37,000 uh, asylum uh, seekers languishing in hotels in this country, costing the 
British taxpayer four million pounds a day. So instead of chasing headlines, Priti Patel should actually be doing the hard work, making the hard yards and solving the problem in a way that it actually is going to work rather than having this Rwanda policy which is unworkable, extortionately expensive. That flight the other day cost the taxpayer £500,000 uh, and is simply not the right way to deal with a problem, offloading it onto a developing country 4,000 miles away which itself has a dubious record on human rights. But Stephen, your um, idea has been tried, hasn't it? You say that the government should sit down uh, with the Europeans and try and thrash this out. We've tried that. We've spent millions and millions of pounds with the French trying to create solutions there. None of it works. Nearly 12,000 people now have crossed the channel already this year, which is double uh, where we were this time last year. So the su su uh, suggestions that you're giving us They've been tried, they haven't worked. Rwanda is now a last resort. Well, um, the other issue is that the government's closed down all the safe and legal routes. They've closed down the Syria resettlement scheme. They're only now getting the Afghanistan citizens resettlement scheme off the ground. We've got 12,000 Afghans who served British forces in Afghanistan, put their lives on the line for us, languishing in hotels here. So, you know, what we've got is a situation where the solutions haven't been tried properly. Uh, the fact is that because of Boris Johnson's botched Brexit deal, we left the EU without a successor to the Dublin 3 regulation. I know it's hard for Boris Johnson and Priti Patel to actually uh, have that constructive dialogue with other governments in Europe because they've burned so many bridges. But that's the reality of international diplomacy. Uh, it's a tough message, but you've got to actually sit down, talk, be constructive, rather than chasing headlines and throwing red meat at the Tory backbenches in order to try and keep Boris Johnson in his job. They're putting their party before the country. It's undermining the national interest and it's the opposite of patriotism. Yeah, Stephen, I do agree with some of what you're saying there in terms of the uh, medium to longer term strategy. But in the here and now, we have got hundreds of people per day crossing this channel right now. So we don't have these safe routes. We don't have this. We don't have that. The conversations haven't worked. So in the here and now, how would you stop this? The people getting on the boats tomorrow, this afternoon, this evening, how would you stop it right now? Right now, invest in more decision makers so that we can get the asylum process actually working in this country. Asylum application processing has dropped by 50% uh, since Priti Patel became the Home Secretary. Uh, so you've got to sit down with the, the Europeans and talk through these issues. You've got to recognise that um, the safe and legal routes have to be there because the vast majority of people coming at the moment are actually coming from Afghanistan and we've seen what the Taliban but are But Stephen, this is all medium term. I'm asking you in the here and now. Stephen, that's not answering the here and well, now. I understand you what you're saying, but in the here and the now, tomorrow, you're going to have hundreds more people getting on a boat. How would you stop them today, tomorrow? Well, we were told that the mere announcement of the Rwanda plan would deter people from crossing the channel. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that that is happening. They're not going to be deterred by that for the reasons I've already explained. So, we, you know, Einstein said that the definition of insanity is when you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. If this, isn't, this plan isn't working, 
then you've got to actually do the hard graft. S some of the stuff, it's not exciting. It doesn't get you headlines on the front page of the Daily Mail, but it's actually the only stuff that works. Because if you look at why have we had such an uptick in the channel crossings, it's as soon as we, uh, people, all the people smugglers have realized that uh, we didn't have the Dublin, th a successor to Dublin 3. So that the, that we, you know, some years ago, we were sending 10,000 uh, people who was, whose asylum applications were unsuccessful back to uh, the places that they'd come from. That number has dropped to uh, just uh, 800 last year. So, you know, the answers are there in the numbers, uh, but I'm afraid that because Priti Patel wants to chase headlines, uh, she's come up with this policy which isn't actually going to work, um, but which is, you know, throwing, as I say, throwing red meat to the Conservative backbenchers. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not particularly convinced myself that these traffickers are sitting there studying things like Dublin uh, conventions, and that's why they're doing it. I think the person are doing it because they know they they're going to get a decent I... hotel uh, at the end of they it, etc. They 100% are. They're very well informed. These, They know exactly. It's their business. It's their evil, horrible business. If we had a proper security partnership with Europol and with uh, the French authorities, that would work as well. But this government's burned all the bridges. But I, I can tell you categorically that the people smugglers are absolutely on top of what's going on and when they once they realized that once they got people to the UK we had no way of sending them anywhere that's when you see the massive increase in the boats coming across the channel it's not a coincidence Stephen I could talk to you all night but for time reasons I must leave it there thank you very much for your time Joe Phillips uh, your take on this because I have to say uh, I did try multiple times I don't actually think um, from what I just heard there, that the Labour Party have any idea of what they would do in the here and now to stop this. It's all fascinating talking about this regulation well, and that and they're there today. In the, in, what the here, in the here and now, right this minute, there are probably people waiting for darkness to fall to come across the channel this evening. Oh, I don't think they wait for darkness, Joe. I think they care. I think the point that Stephen Kinnock made, and I think the, the, the problem is with Boris Johnson, he has treated politics and being in government as a great big game. He has no plan. He has a lot of slogans. He has a lot of gimmicks. He's surrounded himself with a cabinet of stunning mediocrity who are also out for the headlines. Nothing is ever followed through. Nothing is thought through. So Stephen Kinnock is absolutely right. We had nothing in place to re replace Dublin 3. The Rwanda idea is absolutely bonkers. It's impractical. It's inhumane. And it's incredibly expensive. What's inhumane about well, it? Well, for I all... It's such a peculiar pushback. What is inhumane so why about putting someone on a plane to and go. sending them to a nice, safe country? It's not a safe country. It's a country with very dubious human rights record. We're taking refugees from Rwanda in exchange. Mm -hmm. um, if we were processing people, and, and, you know, as he said, and as many people have said, what about the people in Afghanistan who supported our troops during the time we were there. They are sitting, waiting. What about the people in Ukraine that we said, oh, come here, we'll give you homes, we'll open our hearts and our homes to you when the war broke out in February. They're not being processed, but I think the- Lots of them are. Not as quickly as they should be, Michelle. I, I they, have to, <laughs> so I can- oh, well, good I've actual evidence no, that they, they are great. coming from my, 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 ex, my ex-wife has a couple. There's almost anybody who actually wants to have a Ukraine. You can, Ukrainian it's not that refugee. difficult. Well, that's great. I, that's good to hear. I think you're missing the main point here, which I've never seen addressed by a politician, very well, Stephen Koenig, which is that there are millions of people under the UN Convention who have a perfect right to come and live here. And 
what are we going to do? I mean, you, we talk about safe passages. Safe passages for millions of people. Uh, this is craziness. But I think the, the original topic of the conversation was about opposition. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, because we have <laughs> we been around be the houses on this. immigration and we can go around the houses again on that. And I don't suppose we'll agree this time anymore. You've not been around the houses. Time. I've not heard you of you on it. Come on, uh, well, uh, my, my view is quite simple. I, I, I quite admire uh, Kinnett batting it all away and saying, you know, mm. it's, 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 it's those, but the, we get friendly with those European people, this problem will disappear. That is crap with a capital K, to be honest. Mm. The rea reality was that if Rwanda had happened, nobody is coming across the channel. Nobody oh. is coming across the channel to land here to end up 4,000 miles away, in a, in a, possibly back towards the area that they may have come from. We have a massive problem the whole of the Middle East and much of Africa wants to head to Western Europe. The French, uh, Germans, nobody is going to help us out. My own argument would be we should take some of our troops and we should head towards France and say we are going to actually invade the northern sands of France and shoot dead the smugglers. What? I, I would be much more in favour of some kind of violent answer. We are... I, the idea That's that a, a Kinner... Extreme. No, no, the I... Well, the alternative... Remember, Kinner actually got some of this right. 30-plus thousand here, costing us four million a day, double that, because eight million they're not a day, 67,000, multiply that by 10. The whole country is going to sink. We think we've got problems about housing now. You Kelvin. think we've got problems about education. Well, you say all this, you yourself were saying, look at the way that it's doubled We've and got, trebled oh, and quadrupled. Right. So what are you going to do? We've then? got oh, problems. You're going, to, you're going to be one of those that says, oh, please don't come. Is there any way I can help you? Wait, what are on. you going well, to do? What we, are you going to do, Michelle? You asked Stephen I'll what tell he was you. Go on, then. What would you do? Luckily for you, I'm quite a smart woman and I've no, got a little Well, plan. that's to be tested. I'll come tell on. you what I would do. I would do a few different things. Right. I'd say, first and foremost, this is an emergency situation. It so is then a I would crisis. Try, yeah, a crisis. So then I would look at what kind of law, there must be something somewhere, some kind of legal thing that I could put in place that overlays on all of what I would call business as usual law. So all of this, court of this and court of that, that operates on your standard daily things. So that's point one. I'd be investigating that over there. In the meantime, while I'm doing that, I'd have people on the beaches in France with massive megaphones. You, if you come across, if you attempt to get make this crossing, you will not be granted asylum. No ifs, buts or maybes. This is not a recognised route. You will not be granted asylum. So I'd make sure that that message was being communicated loud and clear in whatever language it needed to be communicated in point one. Then I would probably explore some form of turn back. I would look at, like what they did in Australia with Operation Sovereign Borders, I would make and sure I've explored work. that. Well, it did for a period of time. I would have some kind of turn-back operation uh, and I would probably have the Navy... Uh, turn back, turn the them border. back where? Towards France? France. Push them back you onto the beaches of France? You yeah. cannot what, do that. What, with the French pushing them towards us? You, but the France, so you the worry French about that. my war, about me so shooting smugglers? I told you, I've got a solution. <laughs> no, but that's not, not, that that not, not a solution. You thought I was just going to look there is, at the there is, We are talking about Dublin, whatever, didn't you? We are talking about people. We're talking about human beings who are fleeing the most appalling well, no, situation. Wait a I, no, I sure let me finish. I, in, I sat in on the Home Office. I yeah, did a know, whole investigation of immigration. And I sat in on interviews with um, so-called asylum seekers. And it was very clear what was going on. So I would 
to beat with you. Okay, well, you have. How many, have, how many we'll are? Right. Well, do we many are young men, 98 of stop, young stop, men. Stop, 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 stop. I'm supposed to be talking about a completely different subject when I come back after the break, but instead, <laughs> yeah. I might even come back and return to this one. So, hold well, Can we talk about the opposition? Do... Yeah, of course you can, mm. but hold, not yet, because we're going to go to uh, a break. Someone's got to pay my salary with these adverts. So, let me take the uh, break. We'll come back. We'll pick You're up where we left. You're paid by these adverts. You're in big trouble. I'll see you in a couple of minutes. I might kick him off in the meantime. <laughs> Right, where were we uh, before the break? Well, well we, we were we... having an argument about immigration, yeah. but we, the original question was actually about whether we've got an effective opposition. So you've done an interview with Stephen Kinnock, which you uh, disagree with or don't feel it answered the question. He didn't answer my question at all. He just so kept repeating all right, so then, medium, long-term so, strategies. So that comes back to the original question, which is, do we have an effective opposition? And the answer to that is no. Well, well I tell you what, in my view, it's great. Uh, the, the Labour Party is made up of two parties, and as you've seen, Corbyn is not even in the party anymore. It was only half an hour ago. It was the leader of the damn place. Now he can't get in, even by begging and pleading and sending rather large checks in. Right now we've got another guy, uh, 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 some kind of uh, lawyer, uh, who lo always looks to me as though his fingers got stuck in the light bulb somehow. He, he looks, <laughs> he looks vaguely shocked. He doesn't work as the leader of the Labour Party. So they should give him the dumpo and then we'd have had three leaders mm. in what? In a couple of years now. And um, uh, he obviously believes that he himself is going to get slung out because according to a story I read in the Sunday Times, he's called together possible competitors in the event he gets slung out over Beergate and said, I want you to make sure that you all stick to my policies. Well, if they were all going to say to him, oh, of course we will do well, that. Well, never Kelvin, going to do Kelvin that. you and I were having this conversation before we came on air. It makes perfect sense to me that if he, having said, if I am fined, if I get a fixed penalty notice for Beergate, so-called, um, I will resign, as would Angela Rayner. It makes perfect sense. And as I said to you out there, it's a little bit like, well, I've been to the doctors, the prognosis isn't very good. But let's have a conversation now about who gets what and Joe Phillips, you can't say with a straight face that Keir Starmer stood there all noble and said, if I get a fixed penalty notice, I'll leave. Because that there was no nobility in that. The reason that he made that, that claim... Well, he, he will do. No, yeah, but you know as well as I know, the reason that he stood there and yes, said that... Yes, was to call out Boris Johnson. No, was because he knows full well that the Durham Police Force, it's not their policy. They don't issue retrospective fixed penalty notices for COVID offences. Well, so he was it, very careful with his wording. He did not say, if I'm found guilty of this, then I'll resign. What he specifically and clearly said... If I get a fixed penalty notice. If I get notice, a fixed penalty notice, right. I'll resign. Because he is knows exactly he's going to get one. But that's exactly the same as, as Boris Johnson got, was a fixed penalty notice. Who refused? to resign. Different having... police force with different in fact, rules. I'll tell you well, what, in fact, the fact the Lib Dems are the only, is the only leader that won't have received a fixed penalty notice well, shortly. I know. Well, but yeah. That's poor, though. They're not even enjoying themselves no in parties. the Liberal, Liberal no Party. No parties. I find Too that very party to party. I have to say, I feel quite... I know this may come as a shock, but I actually feel quite sympathetic to Paul um, Keir Starmer. So because he's up against the most left-wing Conservative Party there has ever been. I mean... Boris Johnson, if there's a problem, he just... Throws money at it. Throws money at mm, it, chucks right. money at it. And then Keir Starmer says, oh, um, I've got an idea, let's put money. And Boris says, yes, actually, let's put more. Let's yeah. put more money. 
And so what is he meant to do to differentiate himself and from I Boris? I mean, the only way he can differentiate himself from Boris is actually to become a proper Conservative. Well, to have a smaller government and, 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 and but less I, spending. I think also, you know, for two years, or nearly two years, we had COVID and all that that entailed and, the, and all the opposition parties. I mean, Parliament wasn't sitting, really. Um, and all the opposition parties were, by and large, supportive um, of what needed to be done, um, you know, whether it was closing shops, closing um, schools, etc., etc. So you can't start, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you can't start saying, hey, we've got a great policy on this, that or the other. No, but you could have, you could have held them to account. But let's, let's make it about current day. Let's not go about... But you past. see, I think this current whole... Current day with these strikes, Joe. Yeah. I think that the problem with Keir Starmer to me is the fence that middleman... He wants to be all things to all people. That's why he has these silly conversations about, oh, you can't say a woman's not got a penis because he don't want to offend the, the, a certain minority group because he wants to be everything to everyone. You can't be. That's a, that's a fool's errand. It's a fast track to failure if you try to do that. He should sit... If I was Keir Starmer, luckily for everyone, I am not, I would sit there and go, right, I'm going to go hard or I'm going to go home. This is my chance to make uh, put a stake in the ground. These strikes, you know what? I'm on the side of the unions. If you guys want to get on the pickets, you get yourself on that picket. We yeah, stand yeah. by these uh, workers. No. We stand by these unions. This is us. This is Labour. We're in with the unions. And then you stand for something. Yes, you Absolutely. will alienate people. No. I, so what? I completely agree. He called that one wrongly because the Labour Party grew out of the trade union movement and you cannot tell but MPs... But they're trying not to be in... The, the, the whole point about that, there is no such thing as a trade union movement. No. It, no. Exists, it exists very well, narrowly well, it in, is, state, in state industries. It I think exists in the six heads million of the Daily people. Mail about, talking about union barons. Well, they wouldn't even have be crofters, the number of people in unions these days. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's this harking back to but what, trying to recreate the 70s whether, you know, Labour's in hock to the unions, let's bring back imperial measures, oh, let's deport all immigrants. Yeah, but this, but basically, this is, we're talking about Labour, we're not talking about, this is sort of Labour policies. And um, this, I, I mean, I think he's got, again, I feel sorry for him because he's got himself in this peculiar position. You said, OK, he should be backing the unions, which is one argument. But these... These unions, these tube and train drivers are actually making well, not a very reasonable amount of money. No, it's not train drivers. They're not the same union, Harriet. No, but well, the, the, the tube drivers, but I mean, tube I'm drivers particularly worked up about... Don't even think about it. Aslef will be all over this. They're all £54,000 a year. And, I mean, they're stropping. I'm talking particularly about London now because I know a number well, that's of low-paid workers. Yes, but they are stropping um, low-paid workers in the hospitality industry... Students and children. I mean, this surely. I mean, what are we saying that Kia only supports well-paid workers? You have to be earning over four thousand, forty thousand pounds a year before Kia Starmer is going to support you. I'm just. I mean, this um, is not well, what he, Labour should I mean, be. That's not what he's saying. I, I just want to read you this but quote. But this is from, what the position he's taking. Well, it isn't. Like, I, I but don't, it is. Well, he's where supporting has he said he's only people, people who are much better 000. paid than the people they are making suffering. Yeah, but I. I Sorry, that doesn't make any sense. What she, yeah, she, what, what you mean is you're, we've got to be careful with this because what's happened a lot in the media is people have taken the average salary of a train driver... Mm. And who then are they've, not they've, on strike. Well, no, you say that they're not on strike. But There's they're not members... Of, 
No, so you've got Aslef, which is the... And they're drivers. not on strike. Then you've got they're, they're even worse than the than But the they're not on RMT. strike at the moment. They, the drivers are... Yeah, the drivers, they are. Strikes are coming. They've been balloted. They're in process. But they are not on the strikes this week. No, they're not on this week's no. strikes, no. Exactly. And it is, it is a bit misrepresentative to talk about the RMT yes. guys as being predominantly trained drivers then in that. That is a bit misrepresentative. These are ticket office people. These are... Well, they're cleaners. They're cleaners. They're there are people whatever. on very low pay. I just want to read this, which I thought was a really good description. Go on, and this is the bit from The Guardian, from Raphael Beer. From The Guardian, right. Uh, right, no, 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 listen. Starmer, deserves, Starmer deserves credit for taking the capsized vessel of his party, straightening the rudder and getting it buoyant again, but even his supporters worry that he has now becalmed. I think that's quite a good description. But we'll see what happens in tomorrow's by-elections. Hmm. Uh, well, there you go. You tell me. Have we got an effective opposition in this country for now? That's all we've got time for. Many people, by the way, Kelvin, want you to be the Prime Minister. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm busy at the moment. <laughs> Lord, oh, Washing your hair. Gosh, I'll make no comment on that one except to say thank you to my panel. Have yourself a good evening at home and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. <laughs>